Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 283 for Monday, February 5th, 2024. This is a podcast all about Minecraft, available across all major podcast platforms, including YouTube. And if you're enjoying the show, consider subscribing wherever you're listening to this. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixel Riffs, and joining me as always is a hearty loaf of Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. <laughs> At the rate that I'm eating my own bread, I'm going to have to make sure I don't turn into a hearty loaf. Well, you are what you eat, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> More gym appointments coming up this week uh, to make sure I can work off, off the bread. Uh, but if you want to see what's been baking in Pixel Rift's streams, then you should listen to the render distance where he talks about Enshrouded, which is a new game that he's been playing with some friends. Uh, more of that later uh, coming up on, on Twitch. But the render distance is the extended version of the podcast. We record extra audio every week for our patrons. You can get it at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. And a big thank you to all of our patrons. It's the first of the month, and it's because of your amazing support that we can keep the show going and add fun, exclusive content for patrons like the monthly Minecraft Hangout, which was recorded and published on January 27th. That's where we hang out with our patrons and talk about what they've been building in Minecraft. The February Hangout will be later this month, usually recorded on a Saturday. Our quarterly podcast Hangout was recorded on February 3rd and is available for patrons now on our Patreon page and the patron-only RSS feed. That's where Johnny and I sit down and talk about the facts, the figures, the download metrics, YouTube subscriptions, that kind of stuff, the behind the scenes, the under the hood about the podcast. So if you're curious about that, you can check that out at patreon.com slash the We've already been spending the render distance talking about what I've been building in Enshrouded. So I think it's fair play that we now start with you talking about what you've been building in Minecraft this week. So last week I put the bell tower on top of the North Gate in West Hill. And I, in the process of doing that, noticed a few things that were missing from the roof. And I don't have a really good before picture, but I can share a little bit here in the Discord. Essentially, there was kind of a, a different roof shape on the front, the north face of the gate versus the south, which was just flat. Because I don't think at the time that I built it, I had any idea what was going to happen on the south side of it. Like I didn't know where the road was going, nothing. Because when this gate was built, it was just the gate and part of a wall and there was nothing behind it. So uh, I went back and I just copied the, the roof shape on the front and put it to the back and also went through and dotted some texture in the roof because the roof was just plain dark oak planks everywhere. And it didn't need much uh, because it's not a super big build. There wasn't a lot of room for texture before it started to look like a checkerboard. So I just took the spruce bark blocks and kind of peppered them in around it just to kind of finish off the build. It only took a single stream to get it done. I'm really happy with it. It feels much more cohesive with the rest of, of uh, the front face of West Hill, which is what faces north. So I'm really, really happy with that. Uh, and then after that, I went into uh, landscape mode again, and I went to the south of West Hill and worked on a bunch of um, riverscaping again. This time, the way that the West Hill River winds through the town, West Hill is on the north bank of the river. Once it's kind of squirrels its way through the town, West Hill is the north bank, so it didn't need any decoration. Uh, it was all done previously. But the south bank was just default Minecraft generation. And because this area is so old, we're talking about default Minecraft generation from like 116 or earlier. So it doesn't have the fun river banks and landscaping that something like uh, 118 lands would have. So I went along and basically just did this very straightforward process of 
smoothing out the curves and the landscape so that there's not like three and four dirt blocks stacked high. Um, if there was a situation like that and it made more sense to keep it that steep, then I just replaced it with stone and andesite and made like a little custom cliff. Something that's, again, very short, four or five blocks, didn't take very long, only took a couple streams to get the entire south bank of the river completely custom landscaped. But the thing that I found so interesting about this is once you get into a, we'll call it a rhythm of just shaping all the landscape blocks, putting in stuff where you think it might make sense, taking advantage of like naturally placed trees or places where a bush might make a lot of sense and making these small points of interests, just like adding a couple of blocks to a tree, making it looks like it has roots that go down into the river or adding a small branch to the side of it, taking a Minecraft tree that's just default and just curving the top of it by a block, just anything to make it look a little bit more unique goes a long way without adding a ton of work to your day. And after I did all that, a couple of custom trees, a couple of custom bushes, I just run around with bone meal willy nilly, placing it everywhere I can. Uh, not like every single block, but just trying to fill the place with grass. And unfortunately, I also get flowers, which I I like them in some places. But in this particular taiga biome, I was getting a lot of dandelions and uh, poppies, which just stood out like a sore thumb and was really distracting. So I just went around and replaced the poppies, often with ferns, which look great in a taiga biome. And then I didn't have to think about where I was going to place the ferns. I just used the Minecraft RNG to say like, oh, it's putting flowers in these random spaces. I'm just going to replace those random placements with ferns because one of the things I struggle with when I do landscaping work like this is like you try to not make a pattern and then your human brain makes a pattern. Yeah. And then you back up and you go, that looks like a checkerboard or that looks like, you know, a, a straight line, you know, and I just, I need to, you know, fix it. And this way I found that I still had to tweak some things, but it was a lot less fixing and a lot less removal of the grid, you know, and, and getting it to look more natural. Um, I didn't have this problem this week cause I didn't do any underwater work, but I, I really think that one of the things that I, I have trouble with is using bone meal underwater and you get these patches of seagrass that are very blocky. They're very straight lines. They don't feel very natural at all. And I very often have to swim back through and like thin it out. And that's what I had to do with the grass here. We're getting in a lot of tall grass. There was a lot of heavy bunches of grass. I just kind of run around, thin it out. And all of a sudden it was done. Like I had to drop in a couple of bushes and, and that was it. And I really feel like it came together nicely. And because of the steepness of the bank, you can't see beyond the four or five blocks up and then the first row of trees. So like the rest of the taiga biome that's there is just default taiga biome. And it goes a long way when you're walking along the wharf that I carefully crafted in, in West Hill along the river. And you look across the river and everything that you can see, because you can only see like 10, 15 blocks is custom and it just it makes everything feel like it's in this nice little world you don't feel like well there's where my build ends i can see where i stopped working and i just like that immersive feeling of the tree line kind of blocking the rest of the default minecraft landscape south everything just kind of feels contained now so it's uh, it was well worth it and it's pretty relaxing actually it's a pretty chill thing i find that i can easily talk over it when i'm streaming it's not something that i get caught up with so uh, it was a lot of fun 
it's one of those situations where less is more, you know, when you've got the natural totally. terrain that you can work with already and you can put in little boulders and cliff walls and stuff that doesn't naturally generate. So it looks like your hand has touched every part of it, but realistically, it's really just been a bit of a distribution of bone meal, a few extra materials here and there, some path blocks, like you say. And yeah, I think it it looks really solid. It's the kind of thing that if you're only going to see up to wherever the horizon is right then the tree line can yeah. cut that off then it, it makes perfect sense for it to feel contained and part of the build and if you are only working from that ground level perspective you don't have to worry as much about people like flying up into the sky or being high up in the town and for the most part they're not really going to be seeing the ground at that point because most of it is covered with a forest it's uh yeah it's, it's surprising what the illusion of a few extra blocks there will do and most of the time as far as the blocks go, it's subtractive. Like you're usually removing grass blocks. You're usually shaving down the landscape because it's too chunky. Like Minecraft yeah. has made it too too odd and there's too many dirt face sides showing. And um, I actually used a couple of uh, data pack things to my advantage. And because it is a taiga biome and you have that heavy brown and that nice minty green grass, I was using my coarse dirt slab, just kind of like randomly throwing them on the hillside to kind of make it look like dirt collapsing out from underneath grass and stuff like that. And it looked more intentional than like two dirt blocks and a grass block on top. And I found that that was really effective. Same thing with grabbing a couple of vines. Uh, now that uh, we have the ability on the server and we have this turned off to um, stop vine growth, like it'll grow if you hit it with bone meal, but you, you can't, it won't just grow everywhere on its own. And so you can use that to control different faces of blocks that you want to cover up with a vine to make it look more green. Stuff like that was was really, really helpful. Yeah, it's looking good. Thank you. So what have you been up to? I have been on more of a villager trading kick lately. Um, I took a pause from the floating island project. It's not quite done. Still have to work on the back of the terrain, still have to work on some of the underside of the terrain, but I thought for some of that it was going to be helpful for me to have stonemasons trading me um, the dripstone blocks so that I didn't have to craft those myself and so that I didn't have to go mining specifically for those and then have to keep going back to the same area every time I needed more. And so I thought, well, it's probably time to do a villager trading hall. I had planned to have one in the top floor of my storage room anyway, convenient place for them considering i'm just going to put all of those supplies in the storage chests below and i have tons of room in that area in the roof space so i've started a second floor and i've now got a series of trading booths for a variety of the useful professions it's going to be farmers stonemasons clerics librarians are the four kind of main arms of it the where it's where it's kind of a plus shape and then on the corners in between those i have the blacksmith professions on three corners and then one corner that's just the remaining, I think, six professions that are left, because I'm not going to use a leather worker nearly at all. Same with a shepherd. The Fletcher, I've sort of transitioned away from trading sticks for emeralds because of getting, you know, a melon and pumpkin farm that's going to help with all of the farmers around. And there's bits and pieces of other stuff I can do to keep the emerald supply coming in. So I've just been trading up with some of those, making sure that I can get quartz trades out of all of the stonemasons and get the enchanted books I want out of the, the librarians. From there, though, I've stepped into the nether to start on piglin bartering, and I'm revising my ideas for a nether hub that I talked about a little while ago on the show and in videos where I was expecting to make it out of all white blocks and make it a very shape-based build where the architecture is all sort of implied, but none of it is in realistic materials. It's all very plain. 
and I did a few build tests for this that I just wasn't happy with, and it's because nether lighting isn't really compatible with the all-white block palette in the ways that I had in mind. When I was looking at the examples from Nier Automata, the game that sort of inspired it in the first place, a lot of the lighting in there is controlled, the sky is pure white, and the lighting is coming from above and casting shadows into the space, whereas all of the lighting in the nether would have to come from individual light sources. And it's difficult to hide those because there are no pure white light sources, so I'd have to use either light sources concealed in specific ways, or I'd have to use, um, you know, sea lanterns or something that felt like it was light enough but would still inject a bit of colour into the scene. And I didn't want to have the entire area carpeted with white carpet so I could hide lighting in the floor. Plus, as you get further up in the build, obviously the lighting falls off, it decays, and so you're not going to get a, an even lighting of the entire structure to the point where it would look any good. So I decided instead what I'm planning on doing is almost like a scale model of my storage room but in the nether, and instead of villagers on the top floor it's piglins, and so the piglin bartering setup is in the same formation but just a smaller version of that, and it all feeds down into a storage below that's going to sort the 18 or so you, things you get from from piglin bartering so it's it's sort of taking the same concept and miniaturizing it which makes sense for the nether because the nether has a one to eight scale thing going on with the overworld and also doing like a almost like a dark world color palette swap on my storage building is going to mean i can use a lot of the same shapes so i have to do less planning but it's going to go more into thinking about what type of materials work best for the environment of the nether and from there it can extend outwards into tunnels that will eventually become a proper nether hub. So I kind of like the idea of stepping through a portal in my storage room and arriving in a similar structure, but one that you can immediately tell is more nether themed. And super convenient too. You're like we've got a, a big nether hub, decorative nether hub on the Citadel, but anything useful has to be off of that. So like there's a nether hub workroom that just exists out of necessity where there's like a smelter and storage and all that kind of stuff. And big decorative nether hubs are great, but to have a single player nether hub that basically lands you directly where you want to be, you yeah. know, which is where you're going to need all your storage for things to start off with anything. That's a really cool idea. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to a couple of things. First of all, getting the series to the point where I feel comfortable building a gold farm, that it doesn't feel like too big of a jump in tech progression, so that way the, mm -hmm. the, the bartering setup can feel a little bit more natural. And also, once the crafter is implemented, having that gold farm automatically craft gold ingots for me and allow those to be fed into the piglin bartering setup more effectively, I think a combination of that is going to make it a really interesting place to come back to and work on almost like a nether factory build around the, the nether hub. But that's going to wait for later. And I was, a while ago, scouting out areas in my nether cavern where I could build the gold farm inside the nether instead of having to go up onto the nether roof. The nether roof will naturally feature in the series at some stage because it is a feature, quote-unquote, uh, that people on Java Edition use quite frequently. So it helps in the tutorial format of, of the show to... Uh, you know, kind of introduce that concept eventually, but I don't want to rely on it too heavily for just easy shortcuts to farms. Like, I like the idea of doing what you've done and building your gold farm in the nether cavern itself and maybe putting in a little extra effort, but still having something that feels like it fits inside the environment instead of breaking the rules and going out of bounds for it. Yeah, I find when stuff like that happens, it often feels a little bit too, like, creative mode. 
you know, like it starts yeah. to feel like I, I've never liked the idea of even in creative mode, I don't play in the void. Like I, I tend to play in like a regular Minecraft world, just in creative mode, as opposed to like the flat world or a, or a super void. Uh, I just find it more immersive and interesting. And cause I think I like to envision how my testing builds, my redstone builds, my, you know, artistic testing builds will look in the world, Yeah, you know, and, and it, likewise, if I was, if I was building something for the nether, I would use a creative version of the nether to see like, well, how this is going to look with lava around it. And you know, what's going to look like with the, the blue fog of a, of a soul sand Valley behind you, like that kind of stuff I find matters. Yeah. And uh, be, be curious to see how it all comes together with, you know, your nether hub, because something that I always forget about when you think about building in the nether is the different biomes and the different fog colors. Now, mm -hmm. some of which you can use to your advantage, but if you're not paying attention to the size of the build and where you're putting it, you can end up with like white, you know, fog or ash from a, a basalt Delta where you don't want it, yeah. you know, and that can be a kind of a, a pain in the butt too. Cause especially if the inside design of what you're working on doesn't necessarily make sense, it's cool if you work it into the build, but if you're, if it's not something that you've planned or didn't realize that this tunnel was going to go this far, then all of a sudden you're into a different biome. It can be a little bit challenging sometimes. Yeah. The initial nether portal I made, which was on a hillside near where I built my starter house, came out in a basalt delta, but the one from my storage room actually leads to a very close by nether wastes, so they didn't link up to the same area. So I'm thinking it's mostly going to be nether wastes in here for now, but then nice. we'll, uh, we'll see how far that extends in future. Sometimes nether wastes feels boring now that we've got all the different biomes in 116, but at the same time, if you're going to be building another hub, I feel like the boring quote unquote blank slate of the nether wastes is kind of what you want. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot less terrain to remove, a lot fewer tools required, because if you're taking down an area sure. like a uh, a warped or crimson forest, you've got to have a hoe to get rid of the canopy of the trees. You've got to have an axe for the trees themselves. You've got to have a pickaxe for everything else. And then you've probably got to have a sword on you because you're getting attacked by hoglins all the time. So yeah, there's, right. uh, there's a lot to be said for building in a nether waste where things are relatively calm, right? Um, but moving on to the relative calm of the newsread this week, we have a couple of snapshots to talk about. First of all, Java Edition Snapshot 24W05A was published on January 31st of this year, 2024. There are a lot of technical changes in this one and some experimental features in the form of the Vault block. So the technical changes come in the form of Data Pack version now being 30 and Resource Pack version now being 25. They've added a reserved region file compression ID for third-party servers to use for custom compression implementations allowed an option not to compress region files, and allowed server operators to view dedicated server TPS debug charts. There is a lot more information on these technical changes in the Minecraft.net changelog, and we're omitting them from this newsread because they're a little bit too crunchy to read out loud, but if you're interested in the under-the-hood stuff, head over to Minecraft.net, we'll have a link to that in our show notes as well. Moving on to the experimental features, this is partly implementing some of the stuff that we already talked about last week, the vault block has been added. This is a block that holds treasure and loot. To find the right key to eject its rewards, you have to take on one of the trial chambers, which contain the structure's most valuable loot. Vaults in trial chambers require a trial key to be unlocked. They can be unlocked by an unlimited number of players, but after a player has unlocked a vault, they cannot unlock the same vault again. If you haven't unlocked it before, an orange stream of particles flows from the player to the vault when you are nearby. It has a keyhole that will be open or closed depending on players nearby. If any nearby player has not unlocked the vault, then the keyhole becomes open. If all nearby players have unlocked the vault, the keyhole closes up. 
Within the vault's cage, sort of similar to a spawner, it will cycle through and display items which are possible to eject from its loot table. The rewards it ejects are randomised from the loot table each time it is unlocked. It cannot be crafted or obtained in survival, does not drop anything when mined, is explosion resistant and cannot be moved. Vaults currently reuse the same loot table that reward chests previously used in the trial chambers, but once again, this loot table is temporary and will be completely revised as development continues. In addition, the trial key texture has been updated to reflect new vault visuals, and the vault has a variety of NBT elements which can be configured for custom content. So good news for map makers, you have access to a loot table field, which uh, adjusts the loot table that will be ejected upon being unlocked. Activation range, which is the range any player who hasn't unlocked the vault must, must be within for it to open its keyhole, that defaults to four blocks. The deactivation range, from which all viable players must be outside of for the vault to close up the keyhole, is four and a half blocks and the key item can be changed. So an item stack that is required to unlock the vault is the key item. NBT and stack count is used for comparison and the default value is Minecraft colon trial key, but you can change that. So if you wanted to have a vault unlocked by a completely different item, it's possible to adjust those parameters if you want to. There's also an override loot table to display option. So an optional loot table can be used to display different items inside the cage instead of just pulling them from the actual loot table that you've given the vault. Snapshot 24W05B was released the following day on February 1st. There was just a couple of fixes, including a crash fix. The technical changes include potion effect amplifiers are now restricted between 0 and 127. The bug fixes include the effect amplifier being read and written as byte from NBT despite being stored as an integer. That has now been fixed along with a game crash when saving an entity's effect above 127. The only other bug is chainmail armor textures were broken due to armor material renaming. Those have all been fixed up in the B snapshot this week. So the vault block is obviously still a work in progress and we touched last week in our main discussion about the uh, loot table and what possibly could be coming from the vault block. This seems to be focused right now on what it feels like to interact with the loot with the vault block and, and how that is communicated to the player. And a few takeaways for me were that the orange particles that indicate that the vault block has not been looted by the player, I feel like they need to be way more obvious. They're not even as clear as the subtle particles around a uh, ender chest. So I feel like if they make that more obvious, it'll help players that are looking into looting these vaults be like, I already got that one or I haven't gotten that one because I can see the particles happening around it. Uh, I know that the, the, the little skull face will open up like it, the mouth kind of opens up when you get near it, but that's within four and a half blocks. I want to know whether I've looted the thing from across the trial chamber. Sure. Or not. You know, um, I, I feel like to really make it clear you know, like they've used color orange, they've used um, some particles and some animation. That's also good. But I feel like they need to do something with the actual texture of the vault block. I feel like it should be somehow very clear from a distance, like it's got orange corners or it has a certain glow or something where you can just look at it and go, that is an unlooted vault. And then the dark one next to it or the one that appears to be, you know, inanimate or whatever is something that I have already looted. Uh, or, you know, because if, if this is something that happens a lot on multiplayer servers, or if people are covering vast, you know, swaths of land, 
then you're, it's going to be hard to remember which vault am I in? Like, where am I in the world? Have I been here before? That kind of thing I think would be, would be important. So I feel like clarifying the interface and, and the visual um, feedback that you get in the game it would be uh, something good for me. Um, they mentioned that you can see the potential loot item spinning around inside the vault block, similar to how you see like a zombie or a skeleton inside of a spawner to, to indicate what kind of a spawner it is. But because of the density of the cage in the vault block, it's kind of hard to see what's inside. Now, mm -hmm. the only thing we've seen spinning around inside have been default items like, you know, armor and swords and stuff like that. So which, which we know are changing. And we don't know whether it's changing to existing stuff in Minecraft or whether it's going to go to something brand new. Either way, I found it kind of hard to see what was spinning around inside. You, you basically had to be right up on top of it to figure out what was going on. And maybe that's intentional. Like maybe they don't want you to look at that from far away and go like, meh, I don't really want that one. Maybe they want you to engage with it, engage with the traps, engage with the challenges of the trial chamber to get close enough to even see what it is before you get to, to loot it. Um, so that those are some of the feedback things that that I have in terms of the visual. And I, I think I understand this. And please feel free to correct me if, if I'm wrong, if you've got beyond this. But from what I can tell, vault blocks are breakable if you want to remove them. They don't drop themselves. You can't move them. But if you don't want them there anymore, you can destroy them. And it just takes a really long time. It's not like bedrock where you just can't move it at all. Yeah. Um, I'm unsure how long it takes to remove the vault blocks. I'm assuming it's going to be a long time because they don't want people doing it by accident. Uh, but my thought is like, as long as there's something that can be removed and it's not too tedious, because some of the things that I find so interesting about the trial chambers, which I know is kind of like a, a top tier, I guess, concern is that if you don't want to, or you have already partaken in the trial chamber challenges and you've looted everything if you want to use that space for something else you know because i, I believe that no, nothing spawns in there right outside of what's coming in from the actual spawners so if you wanted to use that space as a base if you wanted to mine out all the copper and if these trial vaults were still kind of hovering in space as it were it would be a real pain to try to build around them uh, especially if you had like a creative vision where they were getting in the way. So hopefully it's not a terrible long time to remove them. Like I'm thinking about when you try to remove something like the obsidian towers in the end and how long that takes. I mean, it looked cool when it's done, but it takes an eon. And I, I'm hoping it's not quite that long um, because I feel like it's a pretty straightforward block to identify and decide, do I want to destroy that or not, right? Yeah, the, if it's anything like trial spawners, from what I'm reading on the Minecraft wiki, and this may just be incomplete information, um, but I think it actually applies to trial spawners and presumably vaults as well. It had a, it has a hardness of 50, which is the same as stuff like obsidian and um, you know crying obsidian and blocks of netherite and stuff like that. The only difference being that it doesn't have any tools which will improve the mining speed so effectively it's the equivalent of breaking obsidian with your hands regardless of whether you're using tools or not so you can sit there and break it for like four minutes and it will eventually break but you know netherite pickaxe with efficiency is not necessarily going to speed up that process that is the extent to which the information is available in the minecraft wiki for now um so yeah it's going to take a while to remove them 
I can't imagine too many reasons why players would want to clear out a trial chamber and use the space for something where a vault would feel like an inconvenience if it's just one block occasionally there in the room. Like, I, I imagine that... Yes, the area is mob-free, so like similar to a mushroom island or a deep dark biome, you aren't going to get any spawns in there, but that feels like a very specifically shaped environment for that, which wouldn't give the player a great deal of creative freedom. So I, I don't I don't necessarily see the need to remove them in survival. I don't expect many players will want to do that outside of you're mining out a perimeter and you're just going through the entire chunk, at which point you're going to be taking on tasks that are much more laborious than just breaking the occasional block that takes a little while. Um, Fair. Yeah, personally, I haven't had a chance to dip into the snapshot and search for the vault yet. It's the kind of thing that I'd want to do myself in survival before I look up too many other videos with other people's opinions in them and so forth. But I think mechanics-wise, I'm mostly just curious to see where the loot table goes because they have said everything about this is temporary. It's going to be completely revised as the development on this version continues. But I'm just curious where they can take that as as we had in the discussion last week it's kind of difficult to foresee anything that players aren't going to dismiss as something they can get elsewhere and if it's unique loot how do you get around the idea of people not really wanting to do trial chambers if they're not combat focused in terms of their gameplay style so yeah i'm i'm curious to see how the team balances that but i i like a lot about them i like the fact that the mbt values allow you to configure them for items other than the trial key because i can see map makers retexturing vaults and since you can configure individual vaults it's not like this is something that applies universally to all of them you could use them in a variety of ways and you could dispense you know random weapons for like an rpg kind of loot table we were talking about enshrouded in the pre-show that has a system whereby if you open a chest the loot isn't always the same and it's usually like a rotation of three or four different weapon types, but it's random which one you get. So you can imagine being given a Bane of Arthropod sword as opposed to an axe with sharpness two or something like that, right? Um, and you can configure that and you can configure which item is used as the key for that specific vault, but you have options for how far away the player is before those particles kick in, before the animation on the block kicks in so that you can see the texture change and make it obvious that it's responding to the key item that you've got. So I think there's there's enough configuration in there that map makers are going to have a fun time with it. And they've also laid in enough configuration that if they just need to tweak those values behind the scenes universally, it's probably relatively easy for them to do that compared to having to recode a bunch of stuff. This is sort of a a poking the bear comment so it's not necessarily my opinion but do we think the the vault is in the game a little bit too early in the snapshot where they don't have the loot tables not locked down do you, th do you think they've revealed a little bit too early because basically it's like oh here's a cool new thing but it's all speculation at this point outside of like the technical nbt data yeah, I, I think it might be a little too early if they don't have an idea of what's going in it yet but I wonder if they do have an idea of what's going in it yet, they're waiting to implement that, and they just wanted to get players' initial feedback on the feature itself and get that part locked down before they worry about what it's going to deliver. Like, see, gauge players' excitement on this. This is one of the aspects, I think, of them building the update in tandem with a lot of community feedback now and being much more transparent about that process. I don't know for certain. Like like I said, I don't really know where they're going with the loot side of things, so it's it's difficult to to call it one way or the other at this stage. I mean, that's how I feel too. I didn't want to lead the question. Yeah. But it, it could be something as simple as whatever it is going to be included in the in the loot table, it could be spoilery. 
Like it could, yeah. that one thing could completely reveal something that they have down the line that's going to be a big fun surprise and you don't want to i don't i don't want my surprises ruined so i can appreciate that aspect of it i was just curious because it's one of those things where sometimes we get these things in the snapshots and it leads to really cool discussions and possibilities here on the show and then other times you just kind of like well <laughs> we can't really say much about it because we don't know what it does you know yeah and so um i just it's a, one of those those turning points where like well we just have to wait and see you know what if it gives you another key and that one unlocks the ancient city portal <laughs> you know there's right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could you could go all, all sorts of goofy directions um the other thing i wanted to highlight from this is in the b snapshots um i've seen a few folks disappointed about the changes to potion effects because of course they were corrected so that some bugs with applying effects to entities didn't crash the game, which makes sense. And it was to do with how the data was being written. But the the the, the previous way it worked was you could assign a potion effect intensifier anywhere between 0 and 255. And typically in terms of potion effects, you only go up to like 2 or 4, occasionally 6 in some areas. Like you can get slowness 6 from a potion of the Turtle Master. I think that's the highest level you ever achieve of any effect in, in survival. But you could apply it behind the scenes with creative commands anywhere up to 255. And above 127, this weird thing happened with how the data was written where technically zero is the middle of the byte value and it can go into negative 127 and to positive 127 but then the reason it says this in the uh the bug fix that it was written it was stored as an integer but written as a byte if you went higher up so if you went towards 255 the number would effectively wrap back around into the negative numbers again so if you gave yourself a high enough value of levitation effect that would actually increase gravity rather than um you know give you a, a floating effect jump boost after a certain threshold rendered you unable to jump and i think there are even some effects maybe swiftness or something like that would invert your field of view so everything you were looking at was upside down which is of course nauseating but these were the kind of things that players enjoy as odd quirks of the game i don't know if they're necessarily used in a great deal of like map making situations or you know we're really part of creative play beyond just the novelty value of them but i have seen people think well it, it feels weird that that stuff has been removed now because we saw it as a feature in that way that a bug becomes a feature when it's been left in the game for too long so i'm wondering if there's some mileage in the team deliberately implementing effects like that in future given the community's interest in them um it was obviously a a bug that caused crashes so it's a good thing that the way it used to work has now gone but i wonder if there is a uh yeah any mileage in them using some sort of invert command to uh change the way the potions work and or maybe introduce these things as negative potion effects in the same way that they were going to introduce luck and bad luck a while ago or that they would have things like poison in opposition to regeneration, that kind of thing. These kind of things I often just look at as bugs. And I mean, there's probably a good reason why they're squashed, especially if they're causing crashes mm -hmm. as things stack and become problematic. I'm thinking about like if, if speed potions stacked and you ended up, you know, flying at the speed of snot, then like your, your world is going to load slow. You're going to fly into things you didn't know were there. Like there's all kinds of things that could be really problematic. Uh, and I'm not fun, you know, like you die and you lose all your stuff. Cause like, well, that's not what I wanted to do. I just, I wanted to fly really fast. Uh, we, I think we've seen that happen when they got 
boats on blue ice and there's all these different potion effects that like basically affected the fact that you could get going faster than the world could load in yeah and th- i mean that kind of stuff it's fun to kind of experiment and it's good that there's a player base that will push the game in that direction because it does uncover bugs for mojang to then squash and create a stable you know playing experience for everybody especially when it may not be just one player but if you're on a server where there's a lot of people and then like five or six people partake in like super duper slow no jumping mode then maybe that causes a problem whereas one person that really doesn't matter um i don't know enough about the technical behind the scenes to know but i i like the idea of adding some of the fun of that into the game without there being any kind of um, technical repercussions. So have it be a real intentional thing. Like, for example, I don't know what the outcome of this would be, but what happens if you hit, you know, if you took a speed potion, but then you also took a slow potion? Like, it's not something you'd probably think to do intentionally, but if that had a fun Easter egg where I don't know what it would be, you know, um, that could be really interesting and fun to explore. It's just like a fun thing to to add to the game. But the way that they these things have been described, they don't seem all that functionally useful. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know why they would add them as features later on. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I'm imagining this sort of Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory kind of like you, you start to grow sideways instead of moving forwards and that kind of thing. Like there's there's some wacky stuff that you can do with it. But yeah, I, d- I don't think it ever really has a great deal of effect on gameplay, especially not in survival. It was only ever really something that was a novelty and creative to begin with. But yeah, just noticed that the community had a couple of things to say about that. And, and, and I was wondering if there was any compromise to be found there. So I'm I'm curious to see if anything happens to that effect or if uh, they decide to just make it a thing of the past here's a little brain fart and i'm curious because i think you played on a server where this was happening uh was it a server where people could get smaller like they would be shrunk yes which is actually now something you can adjust using uh commands in vanilla minecraft i believe like right. they, they actually implemented that recently yeah does that lower your pov like, does that mean your eyeballs are lower to the ground or is it just that's how your character model displays? I believe it does. Yeah. If it's implemented the way I think it is, I think you do actually adjust your field of view based on your eye height. Like the the, the size right. of your character model does affect that. Right. So that would be a really interesting and fun implementation of something sort of like what you're describing with these these bugs, but instead like of rendering the player kind of like helpless at that point, if you maintain the same jump height like you could still jump up a block even if you were shorter than a block it would it would feel like playing super mario you know like you'd be when you get hit and you do it small again yeah like i feel like that could be kind of fun especially if it like increased your speed for a time you know it's like living like a baby zombie trying to figure out what it's life on the other side of the tracks and i mean that could be fun momentarily like unless it's something that you could like turn on and turn off manually um i usually find that potion effects like this that have some fun flavor like um what's the the stews the um like suspicious stew suspicious stew yeah they don't last long enough for it to be really fun mm-hmm. you know like it just it's it's like all right well that was three seconds but like i can't even enjoy it if it's something i wanted to have happen for that long so things like that i think if you could have like you know eat the 
brown mushroom to get smaller and the red mushroom to get bigger. It would be a fun little Easter egg. Like that kind of stuff could be yeah. could be interesting. You know? Very Alice in Wonderland. And yeah, yeah. It, it could even be something they put on, you know, the awkward potion, the one that's just a nether wart and nothing else, like nothing to, to actually give it right. an effect. I sort of wonder yeah. if you could you could add something to that where it randomizes your height between a certain threshold for like a couple of seconds and then you go back to normal and it doesn't really right. have any advantages or disadvantages. You could maybe use it to like cheese your way into some smaller spaces but you can also crawl and crouch and everything now so it's uh yeah right it's it, not necessarily something that has a great deal of utility but would just be a a fun little easter egg to throw in there somewhere moving on into chunk mail if you'd like to email the show please send it in to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com first email is from nle ray our villager trades rebalanced question mark Hey, Pix and Joel. I was recently watching Pix's survival guide episode on villager trading halls and had me thinking, are villager trading halls worth building? I recently built Ian X04's stacking raid farm and immediately had more emeralds and redstone than I would ever need. First, I think that it doesn't make a lot of sense to build up farmers, fletchers, and other villagers that you may sell resources to. These villagers are made obsolete by farms that produce more emeralds than any crop farm you could run. Secondly, it, it isn't worth buying redstone from clerics because you can get so much from raid farm. Mojang has also uh, made zombification less useful, along with experimental training changes potentially all in the way, completely nerfing enchanted books and armor slash tool traits. Other things like quartz are renewable from other farms, making many other villagers relatively useless or at least not as efficient as building a farm. What do you think about farms like this and Mojang's rebalance making villagers less useful? NLE Ray died while running his stacking raid farm because he forgot to build a regeneration beacon. Yeah, well, that's uh, one one advantage of villager trading is you don't have to deal with vexes. <laughs> I think that's, that's part of it, yeah. But um, so I have a lot of thoughts about this naturally as it being something that i've done recently in the survival guide i think largely speaking this is a matter of play style um i think there are differences to highlight here between what i think of as the active and passive play styles that are you know kind of at odds within the minecraft community or just the minecraft sort of player base before that though i think we have to remember that the villager trading rebalance is based on years of feedback now that villagers are too overpowered but the team is reluctant to simply remove the trades that some players find overpowered like the ability to trade full diamond equipment from the blacksmith professions this is also not to put too fine a point on this a cross-platform concern because raid farms are something i've mostly seen in the java community i presume something like that is possible on bedrock edition but it's also not something I see players propagating to the extent that they do in Java. And for Java, it's mostly a technical play thing. You know, typically on a server, one or two people will build these and then they can supply emeralds, redstone, gunpowder, a few of these other useful drops to the community. But I think it highlights a difference between different styles of play. My problem with passive accumulation of resources like raid farms and you know the piglin bartering farms that come up as the example for how to get hold of quartz is that i don't feel like i'm playing the game anymore it, they're, they're very useful at what they do and in some cases you can sit at them for a day and then you just get all of the resources that you need going forward and you don't have to worry about that step but 
the game becoming something I set up and step away from is not something I'm interested in. So I find villager trading a lot more satisfying because I'm actively involved. And I think the other benefit to, say, getting quartz blocks from stonemasons, that there's a couple. Uh, one is eliminating redundancy, because if I'm getting quartz from piglin bartering, I'm also getting 17 other items that I might not want. If I'm just in it for quartz, if all I need for my build is quartz, I don't want to worry about having been handed blackstone, spectral arrows, soul sand, fire resistance potions, string, all that kind of stuff, right? So if you look at the maths, the Minecraft wiki says that you need, on average, 2.7 gold ingots to get a single piece of nether quartz. And that's not a quartz block, that's one piece of quartz. You need four of those to get a full quartz block. And you do get 5 to 12 quartz a pop from piglin bartering, but there's only a 4% chance of you getting quartz and a 96% chance you get something else. So I have to spend roughly 10 gold ingots to get enough quartz for a single block. And if you have infinite emeralds from your raid farm and you have infinite gold from your, you know, piglin farm, then both of those currencies are free. But I would still rather spend one of the currency than 10 of the currency in order to get the block that I want. So I think mathematically speaking, it works out. There may be efficiency to consider in one way or the other. And yes, you can sort of AFK at the piglin bartering farm to get as much as you need. But that becomes about how much time you're spending, not the materials that you're spending. So it really depends which measure of efficiency you want to look at. The main thing, though, is the immediacy of trading with villagers. You hand over the emeralds, you instantly get those quartz blocks, and you can do that over however many stonemasons you have. So I can acquire several stacks of quartz more or less instantly, which with a piglin bartering farm, yes, I could stand there at it for a while, but you still have to spend the time letting that supply build up. And if you just go to it every so often, then I imagine that there's always going to be quartz there when you go back there. But if there isn't, you still have to spend that time waiting around when the momentum could be with you and you just want to start building with quartz. So I think there are different play styles that really work for each version here. Like if you're happy farming stuff passively a lot of the time in the background, then that's that's fine. But I like being able to immediately go and acquire resources. This is also why I chop wood so frequently in my worlds, is because when I want to build something with wood, the wood is already there. <laughs> and I don't have to worry about standing at a farm for an hour or two in order to, to get hold of it, because I've, I've built up the supply in the background. Personally, I look at villager trading as a stepping stone in a world's tech progression, and it's sort of moving up through the tech progression and moving up through how you acquire resources in sort of the same way that you move up through how you acquire tools. You don't always leap straight to diamond, even though you know that diamond tools are out there. You can go and find them in shipwreck buried chests and that kind of thing. You can go to the nether and go to a bastion and immediately get netherite stuff. You're not necessarily going to do that immediately because you want a little bit of the stepping stones up through the tech progression. And I find technical players want that out of the way sooner so that they can focus on the farming side of things. You just look at what Doc M has done in the first week of his latest Hermitcraft season, and you can see that, you know, you brush all of that stuff aside. I, I think it's the kind of thing that's almost like a, a role-play aspect of it, right? It's it's the the same thing that, in, in your case, Joel, like not wanting to wear diamond armor all of the time comes into play and it's 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 like you know it adds to the challenge it adds to the the flavor it feels a bit more like how you want to play the game i feel like it's a lot more of a personal thing than just the raw maths involved i mean i i agree i think all that's 
very well said about the math and the time in versus the, you know, reward out and the AFK time in specifically. Yeah. And I, I agree, like to expand a bit on, you know, preference, I think that comes in here and some players just don't have the interest maybe not even the understanding to build large farms that utilize specific game mechanics for large yields. I mean, those stackable raid farms, I've seen them being used. I don't know how they work. I don't know how to build one. I'm sure I could watch a tutorial and and copy it. I don't know if I would really necessarily understand it. It would depend on the tutorial, I guess. But it feels to me sort of like the raid members, the the bad guys, the mobs are being pulled out of thin air. Yeah. You know, and some players just don't have any interest in that. And some players also just don't have the time. You know, if you're a busy parent and you like Minecraft and you've got soccer practice and hockey practice and your own job plus cooking and everything else, like you might not have the time to de dedicate to a build like that. And having a direct line to something like trading with villagers and a crop farm, which you understand and can have, like you said, the immediate results of in the 45 minutes that you get to play the game every other day, you know, like that would matter like that, that comes into play as well. And there's also the RPG experience. Like you said, with me, like I don't necessarily wear or, or don't wear diamond armor because of any kind of RPG. It's more like you said, I want the game to be a little bit harder for me. And, you know, I just don't like the way that it looks. I mean, sure. I could always use a texture pack, but like that kind of stuff is kind of why I don't bother with it. But if you really wanted to have an RPG experience, you know, people would name villagers, people have some fun with it. If you're a content creator, it's a lot more fun to interact with villagers than it is to stand at a farm and do nothing, right? And and I think that's more engaging as well. Um, my preference lands somewhere in the middle. I like making redstone farms, but I tend to make versions of farms that yield a moderate output so that there has to be more interaction and there needs to be some sort of I don't want to say sacrifice, but it doesn't mean that all of a sudden I want for not. Because if that's the case, I could just, I'm admin on the server. I could just command myself in an entire chest full of blocks if that's what I wanted to do. Uh, but the act of building the farm, decorating the farm, finding a cool place to put it, finding a place to put it where it makes sense. You know, uh, one of the issues that we've run into on the Citadel actually is that a lot of our community starter farms are in Dartmouth Meadows and nobody plays there anymore. Yeah. Everybody's kind of moved on to their big areas like Somerville, Avalon, West Hill, and they're all great places, but they're far enough away from the starting village, Dartmouth Meadows, that none of the farms are loaded. So you don't really have the advantage of that anymore. So as I think about my next project, you know, working in like a sci-fi zone, I wanted to think about like, well, what could I do for some flavor for some farms that are always going to be loaded because I'm always going to be working in this area. And then this could be kind of like my my area to farm like my specific rather than having farms for the server these could just be large enough for just my needs and see what that might bring in and a good example is well i can't say i'm all that interested in manually trading with villagers because that's how i've done it in the past to get my emeralds this was long before they made the changes to villagers and we had to like breed up different villagers and you had to randomly trade with them and then dis like discard the ones that had the wrong trade like all that kind of stuff um but I like the idea of building a big carrot farm because it served two purposes, right? We could use the excess to trade with villagers and get some extra emeralds. Why not? But we also needed golden carrots because that was our main food source, you know, with our gold farm on the server. And so it made sense to build the carrot farm. And it made sense to, rather than just have this carrot farm, build up a full double chest of carrots and then overflow into garbage to just 
keep those carrots being used and trade them with villagers. And if trading with villagers wasn't an option, then the whole thing would just feel like a little overpowered. And that's why I think there's such a focus, you know, in our conversations recently on the show for using items in multiple different ways, like what they're doing with the armadillo spider eyes, uh, the armadillo and how spiders react. Like they're adding different functions to the game to do the same thing. So people that are interested in a different kind of redstone farm can make a spider farm and use armadillos to move spiders around. And there's a use for spider eyes now, which there really wasn't much of before. I mean, you can use them in potions and things, but there's not a ton of uses for them. And adding one more thing adds more options for players to explore, especially players that have played the game a lot and have started over a lot. It gives them something new to do. And, you know, when you get into things like you mentioned earlier, the, the Citadel's zombie piglin farm, it's in a lava lake in the nether, not far above the roof of the nether where it would be the most efficient because it's fast enough. Like I can repair, as long as I'm not down to absolutely nothing on every tool, I can repair my elytra, my pickaxe, and probably one other tool in under five minutes. You know, that's my stream break, right? Like if, I, if I'm thinking ahead, I go, oh, I've got a break coming up in 10 minutes. I'll walk to the, to the nether farm because it's a fun walk. It shows off a bit of the server. And then I park myself there, give myself a five minute, you know, coffee break. And when I come back, everything's repaired. I don't have to sit there for hours. You know, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to get 170 levels. Like I'm just trying to get my things repaired so I can keep on building. And I think that's kind of where I like my balance. Like I want something that's cool and efficient and in the game, but doesn't feel like I'm pulling an odd amount of items or an exorbitant amount of items or rewards out of something that took, even if it takes a long time to build, if you get too much stuff from a farm, it feels unbalanced. Yeah. And honestly, like if I was, if I was the Minecraft team, I would seriously be looking at nerfing stacking raid farms at this point, just applying like a, a per chunk cooldown on where raids can take place and and how quickly a raid can take place after one has already occurred because they're fairly exploitative as far as gameplay balance goes they completely break things but maybe the team sees them as another achievement from the technical community that should be left in because what it does is save players time getting to other areas of the game that they prefer to play in and that's fine but you have the option to do that personally i find it much more fulfilling to use as much of the game as i can whether it is made redundant by something as easy to build as a stacking raid farm or not and they are very easy to build they're very like cheap and effective to build and there are some very good tutorials out there um including enxo4s about how to build them in in fairly early stages of the game but then if i'm trading with farmers like you that gives me a reason to build a melon and pumpkin farm or crop fields which end up as aesthetic farms later and then you know a fully upgraded farmer gives me the option to buy golden carrots so that i don't have to take gold out of the eventual gold farm in order to craft golden carrots i can also buy cake which is labor intensive for the player to craft there are a few different reasons why having them around does still make sense and the other half of this email which is you know about whether the rebalance is really a, a an effective rebalance Yes, it still has some problems. I understand that some people don't feel like they have the time to go exploring for different villages or want them all to be returned to a central location and moving villages is frustrating. But honestly, 
the need for exploration is not a nerf to enchanted books <laughs> in the way people think it is. Like, mending is mending regardless of how far you have to travel to get it. And the reason people focus on villagers in order to get hold of enchanted books is purely for reasons of consistency. It's because they can't get those books consistently out of the enchantment table. And so just knowing where to find those villagers and adjusting your expectations that way, you can get to a point where you can trap a single villager in a swamp, trade as many mending books as you can, bring them home, and that's all you need to do. And and that's that's really like the amount of gameplay that you need to do. Or it can be the stepping stone to creating a village of your own and, and it gives you interesting ideas. Like, I, I don't see this as a nerf. I see it as it giving me objectives. <laughs> and yeah, again, I recognize that that's the perspective of someone who has a lot of time to play Minecraft, but so I suspect do the stacking raid farm crowd. Um, beyond that, if you've got unlimited emeralds, because the emeralds are so easy to obtain, why why even worry about zombification discounts not stacking anymore? You've already beaten that system. Again, it comes right. down to the maths that I was talking about earlier with, like, I would rather spend one emerald on a quartz block than, you know, ten gold ingots. But the point still stands. It doesn't hugely matter if they've nerfed certain trades if if the discounts are no longer as viable besides which if you're at the raid farm that frequently you probably already got hero of the village or have very easy access to it so you're getting even more discounts so the fact that you build a stacking raid farm actually has synergy with your villager trading hall instead of being in opposition to it i think it's it's a use every part of the game thing like you can you can ignore as much or as little of the game as you want to but i think they have different and sometimes complementary play styles if you look at it the right way. But with that out of the way, I think we'll move into a slightly different topic. Uh, we're going to flip to something that I've had on my mind for a little while, especially with playing a couple of other building, crafting, survival games, is quality of life features for builders. Because I find that whenever a Minecraft update arrives, builders mostly get excited for new blocks. If we're looking at 1.21 in particular, there are new tough blocks, there are new copper blocks, and people are excited for that stuff even yeah looking at hermitcraft having started with 1.21 experimental features on good times with scar is currently building aesthetic things with the crafter block and having a a whale of a time but i find that there are rarely quality of life features for builders and builders specifically i think the most recent thing that we can consider a quality of life feature for builders was scaffolding in 1.14 and i'm happy to hear about any other examples that people might want to put out there I recognize that the crafter is also kind of a quality of life feature in the fact that it can craft blocks for you automatically in certain categories. But I'm thinking about how Minecraft can improve its building experience. This goes back to an idea that I had that I mentioned very briefly on last week's show, in which I would really love to have some way of switching my perspective on a build so that I could look at it from a distance without having to either waste time or resources on flying away from the build or running away from the build and turning and looking at it, maybe taking a screenshot of it and then and then running back in. I find that when I'm working close up on a project, it can be very difficult to imagine what it looks like in the bigger picture. And my suggestion was to have some kind of camera block which builders could use to see something at a distance, perhaps by looking through a new type of spyglass. In the way that you attune a lodestone compass to a lodestone, you could attune a spyglass to some sort of eye of ender block or something like that. And it could change your perspective while building. 
Bedrock Edition now has access to camera commands that could do something like this, so I expect this would be quite easy to whip up as a Bedrock add-on, but I don't believe Java has the same functionality baked into the game's code. But then I thought about the Crab Claw being an idea from the 2023 mob vote, and that indicates that the Minecraft team is interested in features which modify and improve a builder's abilities within the game. So I was curious if this discussion came up, if we had any more ideas that could help to improve quality of life for builders in future updates, especially if they feel like part of the Minecraft world instead of just a mod that you have a hotkey that separates your camera out from the perspective of the player, because that doesn't feel like something immersive to the world of Minecraft to me. The first thing that comes to mind as far as a recent addition would be vertical reach and the changes that happened with, I believe when they added crawling to the game and they changed the player height when you crouched, it allowed you to reach farther down. So if you're gripping onto the edge of a block with your toenails and you were mining down, you can reach three blocks now as opposed to two mm -hmm. uh, or reach four and build three. And it makes like building walls faster. It makes mining things and reaching things a lot better. And I'm grateful for that increase, but I'm greedy. And I could I could see another block of range when you're leaning over the edge of something like that be very, very useful. I've found in building the roofs uh, and touching up vertical builds around West Hill the last few weeks that I am not looking for a 10 block reach. I am one block short of what I want to reach when I'm standing on something. And I got a funny feeling that a lot of that has to do with the scale at which I built West Hill. So a lot of times inside, I'm looking at like a three and a half or four block height to a floor before the next floor is, is there. And so outside the building, when you're standing on like a roof or something and you're reaching up to a design element, usually those design elements separate floor to floor. So they're about four blocks away. And when you want to do something a little bit higher, like five, you just can't reach. And so I'm, I'm often looking for just that one little block extra as far as a reach. I don't know what that looks like. Uh, the crab claw was an interesting idea. Maybe it's an enchantment, maybe it's a tool, but I feel like extended reach vertical and or horizontal would be a great way to add, you know, goals, gameplay, something to end game Minecraft to say, okay, well you beaten the dragon and you're now got your elytra, but there's still more to do. Like you can actually start building and increase your building efficiency and, and more fun. Now that you've got this far, you can unlock this new thing. I don't necessarily think it would be good to have right away. I don't want to just change the reach in the game from default. I feel like it could be fun to work towards it with gameplay. Yeah, I think that's also something that's supported by the game's code in this point because we have the crab claw functionality effectively added as a property that can be applied to certain tools or to certain objects and or maybe individually to a player. And I don't know how many people are going to use that considering that it's just a command but effectively you can give that to yourself in creative mode if you want to build a little bit further away and that changes the creative building experience somewhat so i'm curious to see if that does eventually find an implementation in game whether it's as part of the crab claw if they add the crab in future or if it's something completely different if it's like the grindstone where they had an idea for a mob having that functionality and eventually that turned up as a block in a different way I'm I'm really I, I'm not certain how it works in terms of fitting it in with the game's world because the crab claw idea still felt kind of flimsy to me in terms of a justification for why we have that ability. But there there are a few people with 
fan art suggestions of it being like an extendo grip kind of concertina style thing that can put blocks further away for you so yeah i, I think it's it's feasible that something like that can happen and even when we had Nembon on the show, he was talking about being delighted to find that if you're swimming, crouching, and also kind of nose down to the blocks, then you can build even further down than you can normally by crouching. And so there's there's little building techniques like that that are popping up all the time that seem to delight builders when they discover them. I guess it's not often that you use that weird elytra kind of move to crouch when you're like on a wall. You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. It, in the water shore or under something yes but like when you're on a wall crouching is the more obvious thing to do but it makes sense because if you if you actually go down into the crawl formation you're you're lower you're lower than when you're crouching so you'd be able to reach farther yeah yeah i I think naturally the thing that comes up so often when people talk about quality of life for builders is inventory management and Mm -hmm. since this is a conversation that's been had many times we've had it on the show many times before there are a lot of different solutions and i think a lot of granular solutions for individual problems rather than one umbrella solution that's going to work for everybody so i don't have a huge amount to say on that score that hasn't already been said but i think to summarize my views i don't think just increasing inventory size helps i think smarter inventory is closer to the solution we need and perhaps that's the ability to group blocks by type or material, which I know is a mod that I think Azuma and the team have worked on in the past, or whether it's switching between rows of your inventory on the fly, like Enshrouded has two hotbars that you just simply switch between by hitting the Alt key. And Alt currently isn't used for anything else in Minecraft, so I was like, oh, that feels weird at first. But then I thought, you know what, if Minecraft had this, I would not complain, <laughs> because being able to switch between a, a hotbar of tools and a hotbar of building blocks would certainly allow you to uh, you know, switch between stuff like that while you're working on a build and not feel like you've only got a couple of spaces for building blocks and you can't then work along a wall in a row placing each of these blocks one after the other and create a pattern. I think there's there's room for little control tweaks like that to occur and it's just whether or not they put some kind of progression mechanic into uh you know making that available to the player it does that need to be something that the player earns or is it something that is available by default and if it's earned how is it applied is it something you get for unlocking a certain advancement is it an accessory that you acquire and have to equip and how much of that stuff is just tied up in hotkeys for java edition players that would be difficult to control on other control surfaces like a a tablet or a console controller i think there's there's a few potholes potentially on the road to that but i think it it might be a uh, a good way of adjusting inventory and being able to switch things on the fly more more effectively the thing that i think about is some of the backpacks, specifically the enchanted backpacks that I have encountered in modded Minecraft. So again, not just expansion, but thinking smarter. Because like you, and we've said a lot about you know inventory on, on the show, so I don't want to repeat myself, but one new thing that I would like to see or specifically experienced this past weekend with my inventory overflowing was because I had to have so many different tools on me, pickaxe, axe, shears, uh, I had to have a shovel. Uh, if you were doing anything in the nether, you'd also have to have a hoe on you or if you're using you know, different blocks like that in, in the world. Um, so already your hotbar is being eaten up by the need to have all these tools on you. And so when you start to fill up the inventory with other things that you're not using, it's frustrating. I wasn't using the flowers. 
I didn't necessarily need to keep them. Um, I wasn't using certainly any hay seeds that showed up as I was trimming grass around. I had squids constantly beaching themselves. I've got several stacks of ink. I don't need any more, but I'd be sitting there with, you know, rotten flesh from a zombie I killed, uh, two ink sacks, a couple of hay seeds, like all this stuff. And he's like, I don't need any of this. And I keep on picking it up just because it's in my range. And it would be cool to not pick up some stuff. I don't know how you would do that. I'm not sure how you would achieve ignoring items in the game. Yeah. My guess is that they don't want that to happen because they don't want players to not pick up something that they actually wanted to pick up intentionally. Yeah. Um, so my brain goes to one of the backpacks. I don't remember what it was called, but there was a, a backpack that you could use in this mod pack where it would basically vacuum up your ore blocks. So anything that was an ore would just get sucked into that backpack. So it wasn't right. in your inventory. The downside is that you couldn't look into it until you put it down. So like you didn't know how many redstone and iron and copper you picked up. But the cool thing was that anything that was of value that you knew it knew you wanted to keep would be going into that backpack and not in your inventory. So you didn't just run out of room. You couldn't pick up the you know, the lapis because your inventory was full of stone. You absolutely could. It would just go straight into the backpack. As long as the backpack wasn't full, you're good. And it was a decent backpack. It was the size of a chest, give or take. Uh, or at least it got to that point when I upgraded it. Like maybe it started off with five or 10 slots, but eventually it got up to like 27. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was big enough that on a mining session, you really could go ham and know that any blocks you're leaving on the ground are just cobblestone. You'd like, you've not left anything behind. And so that was cool. I um I have experience with that from Forestry, I think, was a Forge mod that I played on a mod pack a long time ago, where it adds so many additional trees that there was a Forestry backpack that was specifically for saplings and other plants that would like that like hoover up mm -hmm. specific categories of items so that your inventory wasn't just clogged with all of the plant life that you were gathering as you were traveling through a heavily forested area and yeah i think something like that does make sense it allows the player to categorize blocks very specific ways and i think this was proposed as some sort of enchantment for shulker boxes by a few different people and i think something like that does make sense um but again it's whether or not you implement a new system for it whether you enhance an old system for it and how you train players to understand that this is how that works and that there are going to be a lot of fringe cases in which players don't want it to work that way for a short period of time and then they do want it to work right. it that way again so like it, it depends whether or not it is resolving issues with inventory clutter or just moving them to a different inventory that also stays cluttered and you have multiple things to sort out when you get back home the bundle was sort of a manual way to try and do this, you know, like throw the odd bits and pieces, the knickknack creep into your bundle. Mm -hmm. But because the storage in the bundle was so small, like it kind of outlived its usefulness in the first 30 minutes. Right. And so, and also you had to do it manually. So you're just constantly kind of like opening up your inventory and like dropping stuff into it. And without the ability to really see what was in it to know, like what like whether it was close to full like I, just, I that kind of stuff i found was it was like a half measure it didn't quite get there yeah and and obviously has the issues for touchscreen players that i think have prevented it from being implemented in vanilla sure. at all right um one other thing though that i've been thinking about from building in other games uh, specifically terraria um terraria has a ruler which allows you to count out blocks which is i think 
necessary for Terraria because of the way the game is presented. It's a 2D side-scroller and there are tiles which are effectively the width of the player the same way that the blocks in Minecraft are, but they are not necessarily something that you can look at as a grid a whole bunch of the time. Um, they're, they're designed to look more like a coherent pixel art picture, whereas if you look at a block in Minecraft, it gets that wireframe around it that indicates, okay, this is an individual block that you can can get. But Terraria has a ruler that allows you to measure out how long or high certain things are so that you can you can you can kind of draw on the screen and it can either be pinned there so that you can make sure that that stays there whilst you're building or it can be retracted again so that you can uh you know not have it as an overlay if minecraft had something like this personally as somebody who loses count of how many blocks i'm supposed to be counting or sort of idly clicks through blocks and is never certain if I've clicked the same amount of times as I've counted, uh, I feel like it would be a really useful tool and something simple enough in a, in kind of a similar way to just being able to detach your camera. It's the most basic of mechanics. It's a simple idea, but implemented right, I feel like it could be very helpful to a lot of people in a way that an in-game template system, thinking back to my time with Enshrouded and the prefab pieces that you can build with in that game that could be really helpful for building structures quickly in minecraft but it works against the game's sort of stated idea of the player only affecting the world one block at a time and i think the the game has to stop short of that if it's going to keep the identity that minecraft currently has and and the the style of building that minecraft currently has but i think there are small tools like a a measuring tool of some kind that you can use that would make it a little bit more effective for builders to do what they do and eliminate a lot of the the difficult work and the memorization and the 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 counting out that has to go into building larger and more complex structures so are you thinking about a, like an actual item in the game or like a ui feature kind of a combination of both i think it would be a ui feature that is overlaid by an item that you would get in the game and while I recognize this is yes another tool that we need to worry about having on our hotbar, I think if there was a way to kind of, like in Terraria, pin it to the screen so that you could see it even when you weren't holding the tool down, I think that would work. Or if it worked from your offhand, say, or something along those lines. Again, I don't know how it would be implemented, but I think the basic idea alone is simple enough and effective enough that it could be a real boon to builders if it was somehow worked out in-game. I could see it being something like a helmet or similar to the spyglass if it was like a pair of glasses, you know, like construction goggles that you could put on, you know, maybe steampunky or something more fun. But when you have those on, it could give you like an on-screen count of like, this is how many blocks you've placed, you know, in terms of you need to count 128 blocks that way. You can you could just like, as you place blocks, you'll see a little counter go up on your screen, just kind of like augmented reality, you know? That could be really fun if it was linked to the the item, like the something you wear in the game, something you look through, um, and that would eliminate your you know something on your in your inventory. I guess the trick there would be maybe you have to take off your helmet, you know, in order to use it, um, just because there's the one head slot. But that that could be a fun way to do it because I, I I use a, a heads up display. I'm blanking on the name of the mod right now. But I, with one hotkey press, I can display the light level on every block. 
Right. Yeah. So I know I know Mini HUD does that. I'm not sure if that's, that's what it. you're using. You're right. Yeah, okay, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Mini HUD does a lot more than that, but that's the main thing I use it for. And it's been incredibly useful in all of the artistic creative builds that I've done around West Hill, where I may want to make sure that there's no spawns. I maybe want something to be like a dark alley, but I don't want it to be at zero, but I can see that it's a one. And I find in-game lighting, trying to discern between one and three, really hard. Mm -hmm. And so having that number going like anything above a one or a one and above is, is yellow, I think, or green. And then anything zero is just red. So you can see it immediately. And it's it's so much easier than like walking around with your F3 screen on trying to find that stuff. So yeah. those are the kind of things that I don't mind at all adding those mods to, to my gameplay because it makes those kind of builds and that kind of interaction so much, so much better. And now that you're talking about like counting and forgetting the number you've counted, I can't tell you the number of times that I've had to walk around something like the modern city build where I'm like specifically making sure that every city block is like 32 by 32 or 16 by 16 or like trying to make sure that the roads are the exact same width and everything like that. And it just gets tedious trying to remember like I have to count 274 blocks that way. And if I mess up halfway through, I have to start again, you know, and I've actually done it where it's easier to place blocks. Like it's easier to put the number of blocks in your inventory and you know, you won't lose count because you only have 274 grass blocks. And when they're out, you've counted correctly. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that, that sometimes is, is the easiest way when you're dealing with really large builds, like it's, it can be really difficult. And I don't, I don't know what you could do in game to like have something that would make sense like that. But it's, um, I'm sure a lot of people that do creative builds, specifically those big sculptures and things that are very realistic, and they end up using Minecraft more like pixel art. Like they must have some tools to use, you know, like camera views and pixel overlays and, and things like that. Because otherwise you just completely, you know, lose count. I used to, um, I used to use like a, an overlay on the realm of Vastin when I was building that big tree. Mm -hmm. I actually took a screenshot and then used pixel art in Photoshop and kind of like mapped out where things were going to be, but I still had to manually count everything. And so I had to specifically have a platform that I stood on and I had a block that I would have to press my player up against before I took the screenshot. And I didn't get so much as to like perfecting the angle of my head, but I basically like, there was something on the screen, like lining the bottom of the screen up with like the top of a fence post or something. And that was like how I knew I was at the exact same angle every time I took an update pick because it allowed me to kind of keep in touch with what I was doing, but it was very manual and, and wasn't at all an easy thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I should probably start doing what you suggested and, and just putting that amount of blocks in my hotbar or in my inventory instead of having to mm. worry so much about counting. But it's, it's when I'm doing the theoretical counting before I start placing blocks that I feel like I lose count a lot of the time. But uh, yeah, on, honestly, anything that means that I don't have to use the F3 debug view like more is going to be a good feature in my book because i do think we rely on that stuff too much and there is so much extraneous information there that's not coordinates which is the majority of the time what i'm looking for when i open that f3 screen like I, I think that's that's another way that builders quality of life could be made a lot easier is by reducing the amount we have to look at raw data for all of that stuff and maybe give some some fancy in-game tools to uh, allow us to build that way Speaking of in-game tools and, and GUI, uh, I've been using a map, uh, two maps actually, Zero's world map and Zero's mini map on the Citadel for years now, to the point where I just feel like it it makes sense in Minecraft. Like I don't want to play Minecraft without a map anymore. And uh, I have used it to like 
be able to see top down. So similar to your idea of having like a, a different view from a different angle, this is just like a straight top down view. But because I'm using the real block color feature in the mod, I don't get those really stark Minecraft colors from a default Minecraft map. I get colors that represent roughly what a single grass block would look like. And so, you know, a birch wood is going to have like a yellowy tint to it. Uh, spruce forests are going to be darker green. Like they have some variety to them. I've found now that I'm even using the map to indicate, oh, I haven't done any work there because it looks really green and boring. It's a very simple, straight up green. Whereas if I go in and I've added bushes, grass, custom flowers or trees or whatever, it starts to look a lot more like a painting, like a lot more like how I would want it to look, mm -hmm. uh, like an artistic map in like an RPG game or a tabletop game. And I found that that GUI has really, really helped. And in addition to just the mini map, you also get coordinates and time of day. And it's taken a long time, but I don't bring up the F3 screen anymore for coordinates. I'm just looking at, at the map and I absolutely use the time of day. Like at 1800 hours, I am starting to walk towards a bed because at 1832, I can sleep. Mm -hmm. And that usually means that I'm removing weather. I'm, uh, you know, sleeping through the night to see what I'm doing better. And I mean, like I get the indication that it's getting dark and hard to see the textures before that. But if I'm not paying attention, if I'm inside somewhere and I know that I'm going to need to sleep for whatever reason, then I can just you know, I can just keep an eye on that clock and I've gotten used to it, you know, and it's, it's a lot better than the in-game clock that they give you the little item that sits on the wall. Uh, as far as, you know, when you can sleep, they're handy, but they're not like specific. And that's something that I've really gotten used to. And to build on your idea of, uh, the camera angle uh, or some sort of camera block, GUI zooming. I use uh, Zoomify, I think it's what I use. There's mm -hmm. several out there. Uh, very similar to Optifine Zoom. I don't use Optifine anymore, so I've lost that feature built in. So I just have to have a separate mod. And I just, I love it instead of the Spyglass. The Spyglass goes right back to the inventory space crunch. You have to get it out of your inventory that you've had to sacrifice a spot for. You have to equip it, and then you have to use it just to zoom across the map and see something. And then it crops in your view to this tiny little square and what tiny relative to your, you know, 16 by nine monitor. And I just love the fact that I can just tap a button and zoom in with the, with the mod. It's maybe a little bit more for content creators that want to like focus on something, talk about something, use the, the zoom to emphasize what they're talking about, point at something specifically. But I just find it so handy when I often, like you said, have to back up and look at my build, but maybe the location that I have to back up to is the ground and the build is this really tall building. And so I can't just back up 20 blocks. I have to back up 150 blocks so I can use the zoom tool to like zoom in from far away and be like, okay, well I'm far enough to grab the whole picture and I can zoom in to say, yes, the textures are doing what they're supposed to doing. Nothing looks at a place, uh, something that I couldn't see when I'm standing a meter from this giant build. Right. And so that I think would be a really cool thing to do. I don't even think it needs any kind of in-game explanation. I think just having a zoom tool or a, not a zoom tool, zoom key as part of forward, back, left and right zoom, you know, <laughs> like just mm -hmm. have it in the game. I don't think it's going to happen because the spyglass is in there now, but that's something I think would be really good. Maybe uh, Steve's eyes just kind of pop out telescopically <laughs> instead of <laughs> <laughs> in like a, a old kind of Wile E. Coyote cartoon sort of way. That'd be great. 
There, there are a bunch of other ideas floating around out there. We don't have time to discuss them all today, but, you know, people can obviously write in, maybe if they have ideas for other stuff that can be added. We've had suggestions from our live chat about um, being able to realign blocks once they're placed, like glazed terracotta and that kind of stuff. So there are certainly some good ideas floating around out there. Some of them may even be data packs and things like that already. But if you have any more ideas, please do send them in to the usual email address. But that's going to wrap up this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today over at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you invites to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live when we record it in Discord every Monday. Our monthly Minecraft audio hangout will be coming up at the end of the month so everyone can share with us what they've been building in Minecraft. And we've also got a bunch of recent hangouts in our RSS feed for patrons who missed those and want to listen back through. We currently have 314 patrons, which is down from last week. We had 323 last week, but that might just be Patreon still processing the last few. A quick reminder, if you are a, an existing patron, do make sure that you check in with Patreon every so often just to make sure that you've still got all of your accurate payment information up there and we'll make sure that you still get access to everything as part of the bonus content for the show. Special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, Mind Trip Media, Party Voyager, and Yitz. Thank you all for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on social media. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend about The Spawn Chunks and that they can find the show on their favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixlriffs, where the Minecraft Survival Guide is currently in its third season. I stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which just restarted for season 10. We should have a day one recap out potentially later today alongside the release of this podcast otherwise you can find us through a quick youtube search and make sure to subscribe so you can check out the latest recaps weekly aside from that i'm at pixel riffs on both twitter and instagram joel where can people find you online everything that i'm doing online can be found at joelduggan.com that includes links to the citadel cafe my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment there's a new episode of that out right now i'm joel duggan on social media and joel duggan on twitch where i stream thursday through sunday mostly these days building on the citadel minecraft server building towards finishing west hill thanks for visiting the spawn chunks the world outside is infinite but we can build it better